Welcome to Mavsplained, where we break down a question, event, trend, or news every day. My name is Mike Marshall from Mavs.com slash Mavs Digital. Today I'm joined by Bobby Corella from Mavs.com and Mavs Digital. Yeah, I was going to say the slash is uh, <laughs> optional. I'm reading a script you wrote. <laughs> it's both. I'm both, Thanks right? for having me. I'm both, that? right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. you're both. Well, yeah. I don't know. When was the last time something you did went on Mavs.com? All the time. Is it? Yeah, videos. Oh, okay. For okay. sure. Yeah. No, I've never written anything for .com, but that you doesn't mean anything. change that. Nah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, so Bubby is a uh, digital content manager with the team. Um, I'm Mike Marshall. I'm senior director of digital with the team. Um, and today's topic is third options or third scores on NBA teams. Seems to be a hot topic this season, especially since... Um, I don't know when this uh, originated or when this idea came about, but um, whenever you got two, why not make it three, right? So we yeah. got KP, we got Luca, uh, both those guys. You expect to be twenty point scorers a game. Uh, we just got to get we got to get that Chris Bosh. We just got to have that guy, right? So that seems to be a very easy uh, um, button to push for fans. Of it seems to be whenever you get into team building. It seems to be the easiest way for fans to comprehend team building to me. Um, get three stars, and then it's done. So I think it's important to kind of define what a third star, what a third playmaker, what a third score looks like. Um, so what exactly are we talking about when we say a third option, quote unquote? Well, that's become third score, I think, over time. Um, it's, it's funny that, you, that we're even talking about this because last season, watching the Mavericks, watching Luka kind of – I don't want to say toil, but work very hard to create offense. The thought was, well, the Mavs have a lot of good role players. They have Luka. If only they had a second guy. And then you get the second guy, you get KP, who as second guys go is probably one of the best um, maybe ever, but we'll see. I guess his career is still young. And then once you get that guy, the, the dialogue shifts immediately to, well, you need a third guy. And why is that? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've thought about this for a while. Um, is it something that is quantifiable? How would you look throughout NBA history at w who their third best player is? Is their third best player usually a scorer or is it someone who uh, does something totally differently? Like, for example, the Chicago Bulls, um, their second three-peat. Their third best player was probably Dennis Rodman, right? And he averaged like five points a game. Uh, but he contributed incredible defense and got rebounds and was kind of this weird sort of psychedelic personality that gave them kind of like this weird edge that an intimidation factor, I think, that was lacking other than just Michael Jordan's killer clutch instinct. And so uh, what I did was actually in, in exploring this topic is going back as far as I could, which is to the beginning of the shot clock era, looking at every NBA champion so this is, what, 65 years worth of champions, and just saying, okay, who was their number three scorer? Mm -hmm. And finding out just how important exactly it is to have a third scoring option, if that is what we're thinking about. And what I found is the average third scorer on your 65 champions averages 15.7 points per game. It's not that crazy. doesn't seem like much. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good amount, yeah. right? Um, and I, I think what matters, how, how we classify that is, sure, I mean, 15 points per game is pretty good, but what matters more than just output is consistency. Mm. Do you have a guy that you can rely on every single night? And generally, 
your NBA champions throughout history going back, especially whenever there was only eight or nine teams, was going to have multiple Hall of Famers. Yeah. I mean, the earliest dynamic duos, you think of Oscar Robertson and, and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor at the time, I mean, that's 1971. Uh, you have teams like the Knicks and the early 60s Celtics that were just loaded with Hall of Famers. But generally speaking, as the league began expanding, as more franchises came into be, as more talent uh, entered the league and was kind of more evenly distributed, you would only have one or two stars. Mm-hmm. And so could you get a third guy that could score, that could play almost like an all-star? Because since the league expanded, most teams don't have three all-stars. Uh, so I think what we're talking about here is who scores a lot of points is really what it comes down yeah. to, at least certainly among Mavs fans, is can they find a guy that can consistently give you production in scoring every single night? You have Luka who scores and play makes. You have KP who scores and defends. Can you have somebody else? And Tim Hardaway Jr. has been that guy this year. At times, it's been other players. Seth Curry has stepped up and, um, you know, a few other guys. But I think generally what we're looking for, what what fans look for as a scorer, what I look for, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this, is can you find a third player who can consistently do something that, if you're a very good team, your two all-star players can't do? Mm -hmm. Do they have a skill that complements those guys? Whatever it is, whether it's offense, whether it's defense, whether it's it's where they get their shots. If you have two guys that need to be set up, do you have a guy that can set them up? If you're the Warriors and you have Steph and Clay, who are kind of more, uh, I guess, skilled shooting. I mean, Clay's a very good defender, but more like finesse style players. Do you have mm-hmm. a Bulldog in Draymond Green that sort of balances them out, the yin to their yang? That's what I'm looking for. Whether that shows up in the box scores points or rebounds or assists or steals or minutes or whatever is, I guess, up to the player, up to the situation. But that's what I'm looking for when I think of a third option. Yeah, it kind of feels like we've landed on three. Like, why not four? Like, why don't, why don't you need a big four? Or why don't you need just two of the best players ever? Um, we kind of landed on three because now with the salary cap, right, in theory you can fit three max contracts as long as they're different term in the league, right, different yeah. year. So you get, you know, a whatever, five to eight-year max and two seven-plus-year maxes in there, and it gets you about to $100 million. And then you add, you know, whatever you want on top. So I think that's what people think of because fans are pretty intelligent now about how the salary cap works. And for some reason, the NBA, every contract gets shared to every outlet possible. I think it's uh, a weird thing we've done for a really long time is that agents share contracts to say, look at me, look how big this contract is. I got the max. No, they're celebrating the players. It has yeah. nothing to do with the agents. Yeah, of course. They're just tagging CAA sports. But uh, but of course. Yeah. But uh, I think that's why we land on three nowadays. And when I think back of, okay, are there actually three options on the last couple title teams? Um, doesn't really add up that way to me at all. Uh, it feels like that's an antiquated trope that uh, – that fans are borrowing from an era that, uh, from the big three era of the Miami Heat, and probably before that, I'm sure there were tens of examples that we'll get to. Um, but Toronto didn't have a big three. Yeah, their third scorer was Serge Ibaka. Yeah, who averaged 15 points a game. Right. It's, but then if you just want to fake and force one into it, you're saying Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet. And Kawhi Leonard, right? Siakam to a degree. Right. And Ibaka to a degree. But I would say, okay, those aren't really third options. That just means you have a very deep team. Yeah, exactly. Same with Golden State, right? Okay, you got five. Mm -hmm. You got five really good players. Is that bad? Yeah. Is that too many? Um, And then with the Mavericks, like, what do you, who's even two? Jet? 
Jet came off the bench. <laughs> um, how Their third leading scorer was Sean Marion. Yeah. Who averaged 12 points a game. Right. How does So the, the theory in terms of this is the cookie cutter blueprint, take this, do this, and this will work fantastic. I don't think it holds water. Um, but let's break it down for fans. Okay. Um, where did the label originate? Where did the idea come from? And who are some of the best or who are some of the, the ones that worked the, the, the best in NBA history? I mean, going way back all the way to the – I mean, I don't know much about basketball in the 50s, but I do know the Celtics won every championship basically for 13 years. They won 11 of those 13 titles, and their teams were loaded – with stars, I mean Hall of Famers, Bill Russell, Sam Jones, John Havlicek, uh, Tommy Heinsohn. I mean they had guys like I don't know how familiar Tommy. you are with someone like Bill Sharman, but I mean he was on the Celtics, Bob Cousy of course. I mean they had tons of players and so I don't think anybody back then was really concerned with who's their third best. I don't think anyone was really concerned with who was their best. Generally I would say that that came around uh, probably about the time that Michael Jordan entered the league because we're starting to wonder, okay, this guy's probably the best player of all time. And that's whenever, that's certainly the beginning of my consciousness as a human and also as an NBA fan, but the league wasn't around long enough before Mike to really have the greatest of all time conversations. I mean, it was just Will Chamberlain, Oscar, you know, Kareem. Um, but then once you get into the post-Jordan era, you get to Kobe, you get to LeBron. All right, who's the next best? Then that's all of a sudden whenever we become obsessed with ranking players. You have enough of a history of a foundation to say, uh, all right, Magic Bird, Jordan, who you got? Who's your alpha? All of these things that we as fans sort of prescribe uh, and just and just these labels that we slap on players. And so I, I don't think that this was something that was even talked about or worried about back then, uh, especially because player movement was also restricted too. So you didn't have free agency. So, I mean, it didn't matter who your third best player was because he was yours forever until you didn't want him anymore. Um, but if we're talking about kind of modern era, which is whenever I think that this has sort of really taken off, like the last 30 years, going back to those Lakers and Celtics teams, you started hearing about big threes. Magic, Kareem, James Worthy. Mm. Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale. You had trios dominating the NBA. And it helped, of course, that Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Kareem are probably three of the five best players of all time right uh it doesn't really matter you could say who your third best player was if you're playing in a 20 team league and you have two of the three best players uh but james worthy is also very very good uh and these these thresholds for what makes a hall of fame player who is a hall of fame player i think have become much higher now but i mean you look back at past champions every single team has three or four hall of famers on the mm -hmm. roster uh, i mean jack sigma was the number three scorer on the sonics Whenever they won the championship in, in 1979, he averaged 15 points a game. I'm pretty sure he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he is. I mean, there are plenty of guys in the league now that average 15 points that will not be Hall of Famers, even that have been on championship teams. Um, so I think that has kind of been a, a more recent development. So like the last 30 years, let's hone in specifically on that. Guys like Horace Grant and Tony Kukoc played with Michael Jordan. So they achieved the status of the third guy. Dennis Rodman, kind of the third guy, less so on offense. But then you get to the early 2000s whenever pace kind of died. Scores were low. It was the same teams. It was the Spurs and the Lakers in the championship every year. Well, the Spurs' history of third scorers. I mean, can you tell me who their third option was in 1999? Spurs? Yeah. Uh, Duncan... Robinson and Sean Elliott. Sean Elliott. Yeah. He averaged 11 points a game. Yeah. How about in 2003? 
Manu, Tony, and Manu was not on that team. Ooh, Manu was. Or he might have been, but he's, he was not like a, a key player. Oh man, who's the guy that's assistant for him now? Fabricio? <laughs> no, it was it was Stephen Jackson. Oh, yeah, Eleven points Jackson. a game. That's right. Um, Derek Fisher for the yeah. 2001 and 2002 Lakers teams averaged 11 points a game. <laughs> so this is a time whenever pace was deflated. Um, the the league had just expanded in 1990, 1989-90. I think was the Heat and the Wolves first season. 1995-96. Mm-hmm. The Hornets and the Vancouver Grizzlies. So these five to eight years after expansion, not only are the Bulls running things and then Jordan retires and there's kind of this sort of vacuum atop the NBA, but you have a lot of bad teams. So a lot of the best players are concentrated on one roster. Mm. Shaq and Kobe, David Robinson, Tim Duncan. Those teams are winning the championship. It doesn't matter who your third best player is. So where it really comes into being, I guess, all roads has led us to today. There are a lot of teams. There's a lot of talented players. Hand check rules have changed the way that the game is played to, I guess, encourage scoring and encourage shooting, which has led to more ball movement, which leads to more democratic scoring. And also the salary cap has exploded. Player movement has exploded, which has led to the creation of super teams. Kobe, Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Bosh, LeBron, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love. These teams were simply not possible to create 30 years ago, unless you drafted all of these guys. And so, uh, Steph, KD, Clay Thompson, of course, being the most recent example. But all of a sudden now you have, teams have the means, there's the talent pool and the, the financial means and the possibility for players to move and their willingness to move to where you can assemble these rosters where you almost need three good players now to win. So I think, again, this is something that from a narrative aspect, from a historical aspect, from a fan interest aspect and simply from a team building perspective has not been something that has even probably been thought of consciously until the last five to ten years whenever you went from it would be great to have two hall of famers to now we better have three all-stars if we even want to win 50 games um so who are some of the the top third scores in terms of points per game the top um, score okay yeah who are, who are some of the guys that when you look back it said this team was really these three guys, and this third guy was pretty freaking good. Okay, so uh, these are just from NBA champions. I want to make that clear. But did you know only seven third scorers of all time averaged at least 19 points per game? And only 16 averaged at least 18 points per game of 65 champions or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, your third scorer is going to be a Tim Hardaway-level contributor yeah maybe he's going to be a hall of famer tim hardaway probably won't be a hall of famer but he's giving you what tim gives you uh, for the most part the number one third scorer in nba history on a championship team was clay thompson hmm. in 2017 averaging 22 points per game he's the only third guy to ever average 20 now the clippers this season have four guys averaging 20 points That's per right, game yeah but that is like historically unprecedented what right and doing. they don't they don't play together which i think is important lou will yeah. is kind of running his own unit right well and paul george and Kawhi barely play yeah. at all and that's no yeah. shot against them i mean uh, yeah if they if all four of those guys played every game their averages would not look that that's way. that's right you can only fit so much into that 115 offensive rating or whatever it is yeah and game. 48 minutes I right because paul was out at the beginning of the year right yeah and then him and Kawhi played together and i'm sure there were games in there where Kawhi didn't play and so your points per game 
don't really look like what your actual over the season output is, yeah. right? And in a playoff series, what will it be like? Well, the Warriors came across at a, came along at a perfect time where pace increased, three point shooting increased, and also they got five Hall of Famers on their team. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, Clay Thompson scores twenty points a game. Before him, the number one third scorer of all time on a championship team was someone named Bailey Howell, who played for the Boston Celtics in nineteen sixty eight. It's a he fake a- person. Yeah, he averaged 19.8 points per game. And the 60s, none of us were alive to see this, probably who listen to podcasts generally. And if you do, you probably don't remember it. And even if you do remember it, there's no film to watch because it just doesn't exist. But back then, pace was extremely high. Field goal percentage was extremely down. If you think that today's day and age is the, the era of inflated stats, Look up some stats from the 60s, man. Yeah. I mean, Wilt was averaging 50 points and 25 rebounds a game, and that was like a very good season. And then the next year, he averaged like 38 points and <laughs> 26 rebounds. Bill Russell is averaging 15 points and like almost 30 boards a game. I mean, it was a totally different time. The number eight, w- eight seconds or less, right? It was get the shot off in eight seconds or less. Essentially, Paul, Paul just, Westfall. Yeah, I mean, like, they they implemented the shot clock and took it way too yeah. literally. Oh yeah, they're like, ah! <laughs> yeah. They thought they thought they lost ten points if a shot clock went off. Yeah, and I mean, think about it too. You know, the the X's and O's weren't as uh, sophisticated, I guess. But also, teams are playing five games in a row in yeah. five days, and so you know, you're just it's yeah. just a mess. It's, it's a just mess slow offense for, for yeah. forty eight minutes. It's, it's just a mess, and and uh, so you had you know the number one offense in the NBA in the 60s is scoring less than 100 points per 100 possessions. I mean, it's just very inefficient offense. Shooting percentages are way down. So a lot of your top third scorers, like Chet Walker for the Philadelphia 76ers, Bill Sharman on the Celtics, Jim McMillan on the Lakers, Tommy Heinsohn on the Celtics, are playing in an era when efficiency was down, shots were up, pace was up, the league was an unrecognizable sport. But if you want to narrow it down to post-merger, the NBA that we kind of know and love, a lot of your best third scorers are Lakers. Magic Johnson, um, Magic Johnson again, uh, James Worthy, Magic Johnson again. I mean, these are these are your third scorers. Mm-hmm. Kareem was, I guess, for a while a third scorer. But again, that's like a triumvirate, a Hall of Famers. Um, pretty unprecedented to assemble that much talent on a team. That's your number, your number one third scorers ever. Yeah. I mean, Bailey Howe, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson will never again be the third best player on the team. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a flash in the pan, sort of stars aligning kind of moment. Um, we say all the time, never try and recreate, recreate the Warriors because you probably yeah. never will. It's true. I mean, the Celtics, I guess what they're doing now with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kimball Walker, and Gordon Hayward, it's going to be tough to replicate mm-hmm. as well, but I'm not sure they're going to win the championship. Yeah. I mean, to win a title, not only do you have to have a lot of good players, but they have to be like transcendent Hall of Fame level players they're not there yet, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not sure that by the time they they do get there, Kemba will still be in his prime, and Luca won't be better than all of them combined anyway. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's very hard to win a championship, and I'm sure that there have been third scorers that average more than Clay Thompson, or Bailey Howell, or Andrew Tony, or uh, you know Kevin McHale, but generally speaking, they're not on the best teams. Mm-hmm. I think I think the trope is so ingrained in NBA fans' mind because if you have the big three then you're assuming that all of them are on long-term max contracts, right? If you have a flash in the pan, NBA season or NBA championship season, say Toronto, right? And I'm not saying it wasn't unearned. I'm just saying they, you know, hit the top at the right point, didn't have a big three. Now two or three of those guys are getting paid to whereas you can't keep all of them, right? And quite, it was his choice to leave, but then Siakam gets a max contract. Fred Van Fleet's up this next year, uh, coming this summer. 
And so when you have the big three, it's almost like for some reason, two, just the pillars just aren't stable enough for people. You got to have that third one to mm. put your foot down on and say that all of these guys are here for four or five years. This is the core. The rest can float around. They can be like satellites that kind of float around the, the, the planet that is the big three, quote unquote. But it's, it's like the heat, right? It's we have three guys. They're awesome. They're here for a long time, or at least the rest of their contracts. We know it's good. We know they win. And we know there's three of the best players on the planet. And they all, because of how great they are, take pressure off of each other in different ways. Um, and so it fits. It's, some, it's a triangle that fits into the square peg. It works. Yeah, Chris Bosh was a very important outlet for LeBron and D-Wade in the pick and roll. Yeah. But if you're good enough and you have a balanced enough or deep enough team, those guys get paid. The, yep. the lesser players, J.J. Barea goes to the, the Timberwolves. Uh, Tyson Chandler goes to the Knicks. That's kind of how it works. Yeah. Well, um, and generally, too, guys age. I mean, there's yeah. a reason superstars are able to move from team to team. I mean, think about it. LeBron's case was very unique because going back to Cleveland was kind of a, a whole Sports Illustrated thing. But with the, the 08 Celtics, Ray Allen was kind of at the end of his career. KG was kind of at the end of his career. I mean, it, for those franchises, who the Sonics and the Wolves, who traded them to Boston – they're like, well, the time to cash out on this is right now. You know, if we don't trade this 33-year-old player right now, we'll never get anything of value, and mm-hmm. his career will be spent in obscurity. Yeah. So it takes stars aligning to assemble that much talent on one team even today. But to your point about depth, depth is actually, I would argue, almost just as important, if not more important, than having a quality third scorer. Uh, this is kind of another era-by-era era thing, but from the time – uh, where the NBA merger happened in 1976 to today, your average championship team has 4.4 players scoring in double figures. So almost five guys, yeah. which is a lot more than three, yeah. right? That's guys who are consistently giving you production. Um, but that deflated a lot in the 90s. So the last 30 seasons goes back to 1989-90, again, whenever the league began expanding. And f- most of the 90s was just really bad basketball, a uh, very diluted talent pool, a lot of players that were self-admittedly smoking weed and just going out there on the court and just like wandering yeah. aimlessly. I mean, it was it was not a high moment for the NBA, and the rules didn't enable any of this, you know, either. But um, your average champion during those years, from '89 until 2004, whenever they lifted the handshake rules, was like three, three and a half. So you're losing a guy who's giving you 10 points a game because mm. there's more teams fewer good players, and scoring is down. And then all of a sudden you lift the hand check rules in 2004, and since then your average third scorer is scoring 16 points a game, and uh, you have four and a half guys again giving you double figures. So now that scoring is back up, you need depth. You don't need a third guy as much as you need multiple guys who can shoot, especially, you know, with the three-point shot now. But like Toronto last year, I mean, we didn't even mention Marcus All, Yeah. Who was very important to them. Oji Ananobi, very Mm -hmm. important to them. I mean, every team now – Norman Powell. Yeah, Norman Powell. And, I mean, the Warriors. Sure, Steph, Katie, Clay, very awesome. You still need Draymond. You still need Iguodala. You need Looney. Uh, yeah, Kevon Looney, their first couple championships. Leandro Bogut. Barbosa, Andrew Bogut were both yeah. huge for them. Sean Livingston, yeah. huge for them. I mean, this kind of just hammers home every NBA champion, even the ones that are very top-heavy, have J.J. Barea and Deshaun yeah. Stevenson and Brian Cardinal. And all of those guys have to step up. It's not just your very best players now. Mm-hmm. Having good players on, tops, on top makes it easier. 
But um, I would say it's more about consistency and depth of contribution than it is of just like how many all-star teams your third guy's made. Yeah. It's, it's funny how intoxicating that idea is, though. You'll see, like, I think Slam during the preseason did a uh, cat, D'Angelo Russell, Devin Booker cover. Oh, yeah. And they were like, what if yeah. they teamed up? I mean, it, it bends your imagination yeah. a little bit. But then I would say, I mean, this is obviously whatever. This is pure projection. A D'Lo, Booker, Towns trio sounds pretty good because they all sort of right. balance each other out. But there, are, I'm, I'm sure throughout history there have been a lot of times where three great players have come together and it's just been really bad Yeah, because yeah. their games don't mesh. Right. And e- even in Miami, I mean, the 2011 Heat, that was a good team, but it was mm-hmm. not a great team at all. Right. They needed Ray Allen, Shane Battier, Mike Miller to start mm-hmm. playing. I mean, they needed guys that could sort of complement your best right. three players. And so from a team-building aspect, having three guys is great, but I'd rather have 15, Yeah. you know. Yeah, I'd rather have two good ones and five excellent ones. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's funny how whenever you think of the third guy, like they're not a true superstar mm. most of the time. Like very rarely. Are they a true like James Worthy's probably? I mean, Magic and James Worthy and Kareem is like those guys are all legit Hall of Famers. Yeah, Kevin like, McHale. Yeah, and Kevin McHale. He's right? fantastic. It's just it's it's funny because sim- you're so thirsty for this idea of a big three that you force the third guy in there and you're convincing yourself that this is a transcendent talent right here because he's on this good team, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I mean, Kevin Love right. is a good example of that. Yeah, he's Kevin a really Love. good player, multi-time All Star. Yeah, um, maybe. The respect—I I, I mean, I don't know this, but maybe the respect he commands from the defense um, adds something to his 16 points per game that his points don't. Yeah. But I don't—I don't know that for yeah. sure. I mean, I would say that maybe you know because Kevin Love averaged 25 a game for a couple years, he could go off for 30 many nights. But Tim Hardaway Jr. has gone off for 30 several times. I mean, he's. He's exploded a few times. And I'm not trying to, like, cape for my guy or anything. I mean, there's a lot of guys around the league that are just like Tim Hardaway. Yeah. Uh, they don't have a 25-point-per-game season in their, you know, in, in their pocket that they can show you, but they have nights, mm-hmm. and that has to count for something. Yeah. All right, anything else to say about big threes? I don't know, man. I feel like I just talked very fast for a long time. <laughs> do you I, – I don't know. I mean, I guess my question for you is, was, do you think this was useful? Do you feel like you learned anything? I, I – I don't know. I yeah, no. I think I think it's fun to explore those tropes because they are born of something mm. that has substance to them. You know, it's like the idea of twin tower big men, or you know, uh, playing four out or even five out. Like that's a cool idea. That's fun. Does it does it actually work? Are people still doing it? That that'll kind of tell you if it's still working, mm. right? Yeah, and is it possible to replicate? Right. Is it po- can you? Is there a way? living within the constraints of the salary cap and positional basketball at this point that you can make it work that you can, you can figure it out. You can fit these salaries or do you have to draft the three stars, right? Do you have to take three seasons in a row to get the three stars? Um, and that hasn't worked either. Right. Mm. I mean, see 76ers, see Timberwolves, um, teams that just have repeatedly the first or second or third pick, assuming that at some point they're going to get to these, three this big three this idea you know i mean i'm sure the 76ers thought uh fultz or nerlens or fill in the blank was going to be their third guy um but it's Embiid and ben simmons and a lot of really good guys Mm -hmm. not dudes that i would put on a you know a three-headed mount rushmore of 
these guys run the league. Yeah. Um, so it's almost, and it's such ugly business because so many times it's free agents mm. leaving established places that they've turned around. I mean, see Chris Bosh, see LeBron James, see Kevin Garnett, see Ray Allen. Um, I mean, Ray Allen was <laughs> the freaking savior of Seattle for a long time, right? He was the only thing to be interested in and picked up, got traded to Boston. Um, or that was from Milwaukee, wasn't it? Or was it Milwaukee or Seattle? Uh, it was Seattle. He, Seattle. he began in Milwaukee once. Yeah. And so learn your it's, history. It's always sad. It's very, it's very sad to me mm-hmm. whenever a big three comes together because I always think about where they're leaving because it's rarely ever organic. It's rarely ever Draymond Clay stuff. Um, and you just hit on three picks like no one has ever hit before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, to me, it comes with like a negative connotation as positive as it is and as much fun as it is to watch three incredibly talented basketball players play together. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's very tough to replicate, you know, yeah. because not only, like you said, you either have to hit on a million picks in a row, which is nearly impossible, mm-hmm. especially for them. None of those guys were taken in the top five. Mm-hmm. Right? Even I think Steph might have been the number seven pick, and he was the highest picked of them all. Yeah, Clay Thompson was like 12. Draymond Green was in the second round. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it has to be the perfect circumstance. OKC came together, uh, KD, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Yeah. And Harden's kind of uh, rookie deal began expiring at a time whenever the league was in a pretty tight uh, labor dispute, sort of. You know, mm-hmm. fresh out of a lockout and going into a new CBA where luxury tax, pen- luxury tax penalties were stiff. They decided to get out of it and say, we'd rather build a team around these two than have these three guys and that kind of be it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really work, but it kind of did. They had two MVPs, a lot of playoff runs. Depends um, on what your expectations are, right? Yeah. Like some teams like being relevant and winning 55 games a year is winning. Mm. Um, they can't say that out loud, but you know, you know the team, you know who the teams are. Yeah. One, I mean, and they won 50 games multiple times, yeah. you know, just like the Mavs had Dirk's career expired and they didn't win a championship. Would it have been a failure? Mm. I don't think so. No. I mean, it would have been nice to win a championship, but, I mean, they, they put some pretty good teams around him. I would say they never had a third guy after the end of that first big three era, mm-hmm. which I guess I didn't even bring up in this podcast until just now. But, yeah, Dirk, Nash, and Finley, yeah. their games complemented each other perfectly yeah. until they didn't anymore. And right. Nash went to Phoenix, and Michael Finley was amnestied, yeah. went to Seattle, or San Antonio. And all of a sudden, then it was Dirk and a supporting cast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, every, every team is different, and so I think trying to apply this, we need three all-stars, three superstars, three Hall of Famers at all costs kind of uh, ethos is just sort of, I don't know, it's just, it doesn't... It's a dinosaur. It's yeah, it doesn't, it, well, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen. You yeah. luck into it. I mean, yeah. if that's your plan, then, right. you know, I, I got a beach house I can sell you in Idaho, <laughs> right. as Frank Ocean would say, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, it doesn't happen. Yeah, and... I think more than anything now, if you just follow player movement, it is there's two max contracts, two transcend the 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 blueprint at least is two transcendent players, and I'm gonna fill in around them with whatever their if they have any shortcomings, mm. if they can't create shots, if they need big men to do the dirty work for them, Paul George, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, LeBron, um, you know those are the guys that are gonna run the league for the next five to ten Luka years. Luka KP, Luka KP, you hope, yeah, you I mean you. You hope um, Milwaukee's kind of an outlier and that Giannis is just Giannis, right? There's not a big three. Who's their third best player? Yeah, they, I don't know. I mean, who's their Brooke, second best player? Brooke and Middleton? Chris Middleton, like, probably. Yeah. Brooke Lopez. I mean, yeah. George Hill is yeah. awesome for them. Yeah. 
They just they just have a system and they built the system around the one person, and it works. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it would probably be better if you had three max contract elite players in it, but this is how it works right now. Mm. And you stay flexible for the time that you need to add that second guy or that third guy or that name, or just retain your guys that work. Just retain what's working, um, which is what Milwaukee's done. But uh, yeah, fascinating conversation. Um, I like that like the team building ideas and the what the difference between a, a fan idea of team building is and what a, a real team uh, looks at because no one's sitting down in their boardroom this summer going, we got to get our big three. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. I mean, and maybe they do. But, again, it's not just three good players. Right. You need players that balance each other out. Yeah. Larry Bird gave spacing for McHale and Parrish. Um, Magic was the ball handler that James Worthy and Kareem needed. I mean, Kareem, without Magic late in his career, would not have been good. He needed a guy to give him the ball. Yeah. I mean, the, you need to have – if you're going to try and get three, they better complement each other. If yeah. they don't, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Awesome. Felt like we uh, got a little education there. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.